Well, hey there, sweeties. Welcome back to Friendless, the only podcast that tries to teach you how to be a better friend by losing every friend you have. I'm your host, James Avermako, back from what was supposed to be a two-week holiday and turned into almost two months with a brand new batch of interviews to launch season five of the show. To kick things off, I've got an incredible guest joining me today, the one, the only, Jessica Fern. Jessica is a psychotherapist, public speaker, trauma and relationships expert, and the author of one of the best books I read last year, Polysecure. She's got a brand new book out called The Polysecure Workbook that I cannot recommend enough. It maybe feels hyperbolic to say, but she has fundamentally changed my life, and it was an honor to get her on the show. Jessica and I discussed attachment styles, intimacy with friends, consensual platonic touch, and so much more. She is an absolutely incredible guest, and I think you're going to absolutely love this interview. But don't take my word for it. That's enough for me. It's time to lean back, get comfy, set your headphones at a reasonable level, and let's dive into my interview with the incomparable Jessica Fern here on Friendless. So um, you are a uh, psychotherapist, public speaker, uh, trauma and relationship expert. You are the author of one of my absolute favorite relationship books, Polysecure. Um, but but for for audiences who maybe aren't familiar with your work, I'm wondering if you could give sort of a uh, overview. It's it's kind of a blunt question, but uh, but right. but who are you and uh, <laughs> and what 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 do you do in the world? <laughs> right, totally. So professionally, and we can talk about you know non professionally as well. Mm-hmm. But right, I'm a therapist. Um, I work um, with individuals, couples, and everything beyond that non-traditional relationship orientations and structures and Mm. yeah, Mm non-monogamy. And so in really, and I'm also a researcher by, you know, training and background. So that kind of got combined together with the book Polysecure of really trying Mm. to help make sense of all these people in my office that were wanting non-monogamy, but struggling with it. Mm-hmm. Right. And and sort of one of the several things I landed on was, oh, there's all this attachment stuff coming up. Mm-hmm. And of course, as I went to the attachment literature, I was like, oh, this is really, you know, mononormative. Right? Mm-hmm. Some of it's like, you know, subtle and some of it's really overt and it pathologizes non-monogamy as an attachment disruption, you know, as, a, yes. as a, an expression of attachment insecurity and Yet that's not exactly what I was seeing. And the actual research on attachment and non-monogamy doesn't show that it's an expression of, you know, insecurity. Right. Um, so, yeah, Polysecure was the first book to sort of bridge non-monogamy and attachment theory. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it was, you know, that book... Um, uh, it just it opened up my eyes to such a beautiful world of mm. um um uh, you know the, the the discussion about the attachment styles and that's something yeah. i'd like to ask you uh, uh about in, in a moment but um but i know for me personally as just as a reader it just it gave me a, a lexicon you know and it gave mm-hmm. me uh an understanding of of not only myself but of the people around me and it's just it's become such a valuable tool you know um um to that end i think maybe um Maybe we should set a couple definitions just so that that yeah. that that listeners are are sort of familiar with some of the terms. I think that the the key one really is um, uh, through your research. Um, what exactly is attachment, and do you think maybe you could do like a a brief overview of the different attachment styles? Yes. So a brief overview is you know an attachment theory comes from John Bowlby and then the research of Mary Ainsworth, and it's many decades of research at this point, and it has its strengths, and then it's, of course, shortcomings. <laughs> sure, yeah. Right? But what we're talking about initially is the bond of the baby to its caretakers, that there has to be this attachment, um, where and the attachment needs that, you know, a baby comes into this world expecting to be cared for. It needs to be cared for mm. to survive, mm. right? So our survival and our attachment bonding is really you know, merge together. Um, And most of us think survival is just physical needs, but it's really attachment is about the emotional needs, you know, Mm. of feeling attunement and warmth and the availability and the responsiveness of our caretakers Mm. enough of the time. It's not about a hundred percent of the time. That's right. And so depending on how able our, 
caretakers were to you know meet those attachment needs and bond to us and us to them and there can be many factors that were out of their control it's not about parents blaming right but you know if there was able to be a secure bond then we have a secure attachment style and we feel safe with the people around us we feel safe in the world and then we feel free to go and explore right Mm. so it's like oh i know how to do connection and closeness and i can also be independent and do autonomy, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the best of both worlds, right? Yeah, the dream. <laughs> right, the dream, right. So, and, you know, you can articulate your boundaries. You can ask for your needs to be met. You're happy to meet the needs of others. Like, it's mm-hmm. lots of wonderful things. There's, you know, high self-esteem. All that comes from, you know, having more of a secure experience, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, there's many factors of why, you know, we could not have it. So then there's the insecure styles, which depending on, you know, if our parents were um, rejecting or scary or very loving, but too focused on us actually, or mm-hmm. inconsistent, like love's there sometimes, it's not there the other time, you know, or very mm-hmm. so focused on themselves. Or, you know, there's issues like there's racism or poverty that our parents are dealing with, right? Mm-hmm. Um things like that, right? Illness in the house, children with special needs, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. We can have three different attachment styles that emerge and those can be an avoidant dismissive where someone's more pulled back, you know, and becomes more self-reliant. They learn, I really can't rely on the people around me to meet my needs, basically. So I have to become more self-reliant myself and usually shut down my attachment needs. Right. So you'll have someone as an adult with that style that's usually very capable in the world. Mm-hmm. Right. But when it comes to the interpersonal relationship, they tend to not be as in touch with their own feelings and needs and have trouble being attuned to their partners, even if they really love them. Mm-hmm. Right. Then the opposite end is the anxious preoccupied. And that's someone who's very focused externally on their partner, usually at the expense of themselves. Right. And there's a lot of anxiety. And instead of the shutting down of their attachment needs, their attachment needs are really, you know, kind of hyper, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the third style is called disorganized or fearful withdrawn. And that goes back and forth between the two where someone is, you know, leaning in, pulling back, you know, grasping towards pushing away. Right. And Mm -hmm. and usually that's when there's been more overt trauma that's Mm -hmm. happened. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's the one that was describing me. That was the one I fell into <laughs> as, as I was reading the book. I went, okay, so you've got me pegged. That's interesting. Right, you know? right. Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, also... yeah, and it's the one that gets the most pathologized, you know. And yeah. Yet, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also the one that I would identify with as well and have had to yeah. work through. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a funny, it's, you know, it's always fun to, to read these kinds of books and, and to, to, you know, when you encounter, you know, these concepts that you've never really, you know, seen before, or even knew really existed. And, and then you go, Oh, you, you have written about me without me ever meeting you. Exactly. Right. It's very validating, but it's also kind of frightening in a way at times, you know, totally to feel like, I mean, I've heard this with people with some something like the Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram or their mm. astrology. They're like, oh my goodness, am I just like a cliche? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so um, um, what exactly, what drew you into this world of, of researching attachment and, and non-monogamy? Yeah. And, and I guess what, what um, you know, wh- why did you choose this as a, as a specialty? I feel like it chose me. Mm. quite literally I feel like it you know it was clients coming to me who happened to be exploring non-monogamy and they probably came to me because I was already very narrative therapy based Gotcha. which for those of those that know narrative therapy or not it's like really looking at what are the discourses and narratives at the societal and cultural levels that you know make us who we are Mm. um, and looking to really deconstruct those right? Am I living someone else's script or my own? Mm. Right? So I already was in the framework of let's deconstruct things. <laughs> like, yes. let's not just take gender or binaries or sexual orientation as, as you know, so it, it like the skill set I had made sense that 
you people exploring non-monogamy would come to me and I'd go, oh yeah, let's deconstruct monogamy, right? Yeah. Why is that what you think you should do or not, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so then though, as listening to people, seeing that a lot of the challenges they were having were attachment-based, right? Mm-hmm. That the opening up process would often activate insecure attachment styles mm-hmm. within themselves, you know, or with their partner. Mm-hmm. And that just, you know, being non-monogamous, even if it's not the newly opening up, different transitions that people go through of escalations, de-escalations, different levels of hierarchy, right? The introduction of a new partner into a polycule, mm-hmm. all of these are moments that then suddenly there can be increased attachment insecurity, yes. right? Yeah. Right. Because we have multiple attachment relationships happening. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that interesting um, navigating of of it, 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 I'm sure you could find the the words better than I can, but it's that it, it you know it's it's treating each person as the individual rather than as some kind of prescriptive exactly. behavior. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So for people listening too, you hear you know you and I talk about the attachment styles to know like that is not prescriptive either. That mm-hmm. even one person can have more than one attachment style um, throughout their life. Even their attachment style can change in the same relationship, mm-hmm. right? And that if you, even if you have an insecure style or history, you can have secure functioning and like heal towards secure attachment. Yes. Yeah. And that's, and that's one thing I do hold on to is there is hope, you know, you can, you can shift and you can change, right? It really is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, um, I think that the, the, the other element of sort of for, 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 you know, sort of laying baseline or definitions of things like that is, you know, uh, you've been using the, the, the terms, uh, polyamorous, non-monogamous, yeah. things like that. One of the, one of the, um, sort of terms that I see pop up a lot, especially on, you know, things like, uh, dating apps and things like that. Um, and, and I'd like to ask further about that in a moment, but, but, uh, the term you see a lot is ethical non-monogamous, yeah. right? Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm, and I guess to, to start with, I'm wondering if you could give uh, at least your sort of perspective on the definition of, of the difference between these kinds of, of um, um, terms. And then I think the follow-up is, is what exactly is ethical, right? Like what is, what, how do you, how do you define that? I love Find out the latest on supply chain technology and news that impact your IT, AV, and communication systems. Find AV Week wherever you listen to podcasts or go to avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. This question, yeah. So I think most people are using consensual non-monogamy and ethical non-monogamy sort of synonymously, Mm -hmm, right, mm -hmm. as both being these umbrella terms to, Mm -hmm. you know, encompass the many different ways people are exploring or living or orient to non-monogamy, right? Mm. So swingers, solo polyamory, polyamory, monogamish, open marriage, Mm -hmm. like all of that, you know, is sort of under that umbrella, right? Mm. I struggle with the ethical non-monogamy, because I think what you're getting at is it's like, well, whose ethics are we talking yes. about, right? And my sense of, right, so first of all, we can have many different kind of ethical orientations and ethical mm-hmm. values. Um, but, you know, there's some great developmental, like adult developmental research on different stages of moral and ethical development. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you have people at all different stages doing the same kind of thing and it's expressed very differently. Right. Mm -hmm. So I do, I want to be careful of like, well, what is it? Whose ethics are you talking about? And what does it actually mean? You know, whereas Mm -hmm. consensual to me feels a little bit more neutral, like People know this is happening or they don't, right? And they're consenting mm. to be in non-monogamy or they're not. Mm-hmm. And even I love that nuance. That's a beautiful, yeah. that's a beautiful little tweak. And I've, I've yeah. uh, as a writer, I'm someone who really values, you know, precision of language, even yeah. though that can be a that can be a slippery slope in itself. But totally. Uh, and there's yeah. also something. So some people use the phrase ethical non-monogamy, and it's great, and it's like very accurate, and they are really trying to be in integrity with their non-monogamy. Yes. And yes. there's a lot of people using that phrase, and it's like 
the irony that they are so unethical in how they're practicing is like, just don't use that word. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. No, like they're often using that phrase to disregard people and actually like have this sort of more, you know, adolescent, like it's just my needs and my freedoms and I'll do whatever I want and you just deal with it. Right. Yeah. That's not ethical. Right. Yeah. It is that. And it comes into play as well as with the, um, is it called the, is it the, the four, four F's of the, the fight freeze fawn. Um, yeah, right. Right. Mm -hmm. And the idea of how, how does, um, you know, where are your boundaries for, 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 um, serving your personal needs, yeah, a- a- along with the, the the person that you're partnered with, right? Yeah, that's great. Right, exactly. That people who tend to be in the like fawn or freeze defense mechanisms, right? They they can often, you know, can they really consent to certain things, right? Like exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, it, it, that sort of leads me into a couple of the more to sort of swing it into the 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 sphere that uh, friendless often falls into is because yes. uh, we often look a little bit less at at um ro- uh, romantic relationships and right. more at sort of um you know intimacy within friendship and and i i think um an entryway into that looking from the attachment style perspective um how in your work do you observe attachment styles factoring into building non non-romantic relationships and intimate yeah. friendships well, I think they absolutely do, right? And I do bring that up in the book that these are not our atta- adult attachment relationships and our childhood attachment relationships, right? Are not just family and they're not just romantic, right? Mm-hmm. Friends are huge in our attachment experiences, mm-hmm. right? Whether traumatic or supportive and healing. What's interesting that I see though is that what someone's romantic attachment style is, is not necessarily what their friend attachment style is. Right. Okay. And that, it still fascinates me, right? I have mm. one of my dearest friends is quite anxious with like any male, right? Mm-hmm. Right away, if it's a potential romantic. Um, and then with me is mostly secure and with other friends is mostly avoidant. <laughs> Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Right. So it's like, and I can see that with myself too. Like, oh, with certain and with different friends too. You know, I'm more secure. I'm more avoidant. You know, I tend not to be as disorganized with my friends, but you know, like it can happen as well. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, don't assume that what your historical attachment style or romantic one is the same with your friends, but absolutely, you know. And it, 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 it's almost a question of something I'm often sort of picking at and trying to unpack. And, and you know, this is from a, uh, you know, a, a freelance podcast, pers- poster, podcast perspective. So it's, it's a little less um, uh, database. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it's, this, it's these, um, these desires for intimacy. Um, yeah. and, and like you say, that there's different types of intimacy. And, and, yeah. and that really factors in... Um, I guess I guess something I'm trying to sort of pick at is is there a way to f- for someone to identify that um, internally or or how would someone go about sort of identifying what these um, maybe these triggers or or these kinds of things are in the different type of connections? Yeah, I mean, just seeing like with friends, right? How do I get triggered and activated? What kind of mm. situations activate me and bring up anxiety or um, which ones are triggering stuff from my past or where do I like hold people at arm's length or tend to avoid certain conversations, mm. right? So just where like the different ways it doesn't feel good in a certain friendship relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I, and that, that, that leads me into, I think this is a little bit of a reframing. Um, I'm, I'm referring to the list of the, of the questions I've, I've written down for you. I, it's a little bit of a reframe of this question, but it's a little different perspective is how, how do you find these attachment styles showing up or these attachment feelings kind of showing up in non-sexual or non, non. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it goes beyond these terms, but it's usually the people that we maybe consider our best friends. 
Mm. Or we might seem like platonic life partner, you know, queer communities have sort of had this framework for a long time of like, Mm. you know, right, platonic partners or poly intimates, things like that, right? Um, You know, family of choice, right? And it's, you know, it's the people that are our go-to people, the people that we would call our people, right? Like, that's yeah, one of my yeah. humans, or that's one of, you know, like, um, you know, it's gendered language, but I just heard someone this morning be like, oh, that's my soul sister, you know? And sure, it was like okay. their way of sort of describing, you know, this isn't, in air quotes, just a friendship, right? That's mm-hmm. something you and I can look at as well. Why do we even say that, right? Yes, <laughs> exactly, just friendship. Right? Yeah. Right. So we try to come up with these other ways of describing like deeper entwinement and intimacy. And yet Mm -hmm. it isn't. Well, and sometimes there can be romantic elements to it. Yes. Right. I mean, I have two friends, two male friends. One of them I've known since I was 14, like one of my favorite humans from high school. And there's such a romantic like, hi, sweetie. How are you, dear? Like there's just such an affectionate like way of being that I do kind of have to like, if a partner sees those texts, they're like, what is this? <laughs> like, who yeah. is this? You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, right. And I have to be like, yeah, there's like deep platonic love that has a little like romantic language sprinkled on top, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and that definitely comes with the, I, I find, um, and uh, forgive me if I speak overly broadly about this, I'm trying to be as, as, uh, you know, nuance as possible, but I find often in, uh, especially sort of heteronormative male upbringing, um, you're only really encouraged to touch if it's either through violence or with the intention of, of penetrative sex. There's there's basically about it, right? Yeah, exactly. You know? And so it's, it's really hard, you know, um, you know, as, as, as a queer man who, you know, who, 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 you know, uh, I find attraction everywhere and it's very it's very easy for me to 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 dip into touch but I I know with my straight friends especially my really intimate friends um you know I I can feel them want something more but there's Mm -hmm. a there's a a blockage there and 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 it makes me kind of sad in a way that um they're they're hesitant for touch which is something we very clearly need and they're hesitant for for a type of intimacy because they've been sort of led to believe the only uh, goal of intimacy is sex. Exactly. Uh, Right. Yeah. I think it's such a, yeah, it's so prevalent and so sad. Yeah. It's very limiting and yeah. Yeah. Sad sad really is the, 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 the word for it. it? Yeah. And it happens, you know, with women as well. I mean, sometimes Mm. there's more affection, but sometimes there's still like that line of just like, Oh, right. My touch is sort of, reserved for my partner sexually mm-hmm. and that's kind of it or my child in an affectionate platonic way you know mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. so even mm-hmm. I see that among friends who are exploring just you know loving touch um, or cuddle mm-hmm. parties like these are ways of right why aren't we just loving each other up <laughs> yes yes that's exactly right I love that you bring that up because that's something that's become a real big topic in my friend group um, mm-hmm. a lot of people are talking about you know, um, I've often had this joke for years about like, we need skin on skin more, right? You know, yeah. we just get, get some skin on skin, right? And, yeah. and, and that's becoming much more prevalent in the conversation. And I love it. I'm very relieved about that. Because, you know, obviously, coming back to the, the idea of consensual touch, don't just grab your friends, just right, you know, but, but encouraging them to, to be to be touched, I think is so important. Yeah, I mean, and that's the like, you know, first skin to skin contact is parent to child or caretaker Mm -hmm. to child. And that's like that skin to skin time is so important, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Not just through clothes, because like, when it's skin to skin, oxytocin gets released, and that's the bonding hormone. And you know, there's all these beautiful benefits of oxytocin. And right, and we don't lose that need as adults. No, no. Right? I almost wonder if analyze like you're saying. Yes. You know, right. That that's exactly right. That's exactly right. It gets compartmentalized. That's a perfect way of putting it. And and it yeah. makes me worried. It makes me wonder if, you know, I'm not someone who thinks like mm-hmm. if we solve this one social issue, everything would right. domino. But it but yeah. it makes me wonder how much is being amplified because of our um uh 
lack of touch or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of this story. Um, it was over 20 years ago. It was like between semesters in college. I went to Thailand. Beautiful. And yeah. And um, and I asked this woman, a Thai woman, like running the like hostel that I was staying at. I was like, where do I find this or that? And she just, without... There was no, it was just instinctual. She just took my hand and walked mm. me halfway down the street, holding my hands. And then as she's showing me the west of the way down the block, she has like her hand on my back. <laughs> mm. And I literally started to tear up. I was like, this yeah. woman is more affectionate to me than my family. Like, yeah. like you know, and I could just feel yes. like this cultural deficit, you know, and mm-hmm. of like, of just friendly, kind touch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's funny that 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 makes me go a little off off script here. But that makes me think of I remember I, I wish I could remember the exact numbers, but I remember reading a study about observing cultural touch and and they were they observed uh, men in conversation around the world and how often the two men would touch each other during the conversation. And yes. um, I, I remember I think it was the, the, the Brits touched the least. It was something like twice an hour. And uh, I think it was Italians touched like 20 times an hour. You know? <laughs> right. And it's just that encouraging, you know, again, it's 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 dismantling the fear of of touch only being to either fight or fuck. Right. You know, and instead exactly. being something more. Yeah, I would love to see like the level of touching correlated with just like longevity of life or happiness. Yes. Or, you know, like those kind of. Yes. Facts. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Um, um, s- swinging back onto something, actually, um, you know, we, we, we dipped our toes t- a tiny, tiny bit into discussing things like social media, dating apps and the effects mm-hmm. of those. Um, I'm wondering in your, in your work, how are you seeing, um, the effects of these apps, you know, Tinder, Hinge, all these things, yeah. um, how are you seeing them affect not only romantic relationships, but also, um, non-romantic, you know, friendships? That's a great question. Yeah, I'm seeing it go in a lot of directions with romantic mm-hmm. relationships, right? Mm-hmm. The positives are there's a sort of a filtering out when you can identify as what your orientation is sexually or, you know, mm-hmm. if you're non-monogamous, if you're married and not, you know, all those things like there's a filtering out that some people can do through the apps that is helpful, right? So mm-hmm. when you start actually dialoguing with someone, you at least know there's enough shared something right yes yes you know and yet right but and i've seen many people find access to partners that they never would have before you know because maybe they're three hours away and that's like the perfect situation for them or sure i have a partner we did meet on an app and we're an hour and a half i don't think we would have ever met in person you know (laughs) so it's like i'm so grateful so it's sort of expanding our access to a lot of different humans right Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, a lot of people struggle with online dating, understandably, because because we're not in person. There's a lot of just ghosting that happens. Mm-hmm. You know, things can turn really quickly. I mean, there's a lot of filtering through of people who's are not looking to actually start a conversation with you. Yes, yes. <laughs> right. So there's people that it's like really stressful, you know. And so I've seen it lead to wonderful experiences and like last night with a client we were talking about like he has sort of dating app trauma at this point Mm -hmm. and it's like I can't do it anymore like it's too humiliating you know and his self-esteem is sort of just plummeted from Mm -hmm. the dating app experience right so Mm -hmm. it's like it can be anything yeah friends is interesting I mean I've seen people meet friends online obviously and I've Mm -hmm. seen the benefit of certain social media sites where like you would have never reconnected with a certain person, right. From decades ago and you find each other on Facebook. Right. And it's amazing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, but then also there's so much misrepresentation on social media, like of, Mm -hmm. of what people's glamorous life actually isn't, you know, and so, right. There's the comparison, the FOMO, like all of that stuff is difficult as well. You know, Mm -hmm. so, so yeah, I think it's we all have to find our relationship to it, right? Mm. Of how much and how little is supportive and like yeah. why we're using it, right? Yes. And not using it cuz we're supposed to or think we should. 
Oh, I love that. I love that. And that's something that's such a key, key take on it, too, is the idea. I, I think a lot of people, myself included, I think this is one of the roots of the show was realizing how um, unmindfully I was using these tools. Right. You know? And I think there's it's so easy to be overwhelmed by them because they're yeah. so ubiquitous and they're so ever present. And so you just go on them. You know, yeah. I, I can't tell you how many times I close uh, Instagram and then. I immediately reopen it, you know, just <laughs> right. It, right. You know, I'm like on to the next thing. Oh, I better check Instagram. Oh, right. I was just on it, you know, and, and mm. that's sort of like, um, this almost disassociative behavior of it. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's very addictive and it's designed well, you know, to mm -hmm. keep wanting that dopamine hit. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and then like how many of those connections are really fulfilling or not, you know, mm -hmm. like, all of that matters yeah. but I think I really love that you're also framing it you know I think it's really important to look at the positives as well right yeah. you know not not from a not from a you know everything sunshine rainbows but I think it's really important to see the the full spectrum of the experience and I think like you say the 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 the, the worlds that it's opened up and the security yeah. that it does offer by being able to whether it's to vet or whether it's to be able to find people I think is such an invaluable tool yeah right exactly I mean not to oversimplify but it's like we need water to live and we can also drink ourselves to death in water right like, exactly and, yes and we yes need food to survive and we can also eat ourselves into terminal health conditions you know yes, so it's like, yes right so it's like what is our relationship to it, right? And and yeah. are we sort of staying, you know, in moderation? Is it in a nurturing experience versus when does it cross the line into like it's actually stressful or addictive or hurting our self-esteem, right, through mm -hmm. being on social media? Yeah. Do you, in your work, do you find, do you, have you, do you have any sort of um, suggestions or tools? I know you just mentioned now, you know, the moderation use and so, and yeah. that's sort of a personal, that's sort of yeah. a, a personal um, dialogue to have with yourself. But, but do you, do you have any tools that you suggest for, for clients um, about processing that kind of stress? Yeah, it's a great question. First, just the awareness like how much mm. of it, like where are you at sort of in the spectrum of this experience, yes. right? Of the social yeah. media being like fun and entertaining and nourishing versus the other end of it being like destructive, right? Mm -hmm. Addictive, right? So just sort of first like doing a self-assessment, you know, like mm. where am I at and and how is my mental health impacted by this or not or my sense of self or my other relationships? You know, mm -hmm. like, are you choosing, you know, virtual experiences over in-person experiences? And sometimes yeah. it's okay. Sometimes let's look at why, right? Mm -hmm. I think just exploring the awareness of where you at. Um, but I do have clients that, like, I don't know the names. You might know better than me. But there's certain, you know, like, you can have certain websites that control your usage, basically. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and I know a few people that have really found that extremely helpful yeah or just mm. even sometimes like literally just take a day off a yeah you know it yeah. doesn't have to be like huge grand changes it can be like or literally at a certain time of the day I'm done mm. for the day you know just those kind of smaller things I've seen make a big impact you know, and just yeah. that attitude of experiment with it that's exactly right. That's perfect yeah. way of putting it. I I know for me personally, I because I was I was getting really 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 overwhelmed with Twitter, and so yeah. I instead of doing some kind of like you say, instead of doing some grand gesture of I'm del I'm, I'm you know nuking my account. account. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just took it off my phone is all you know. So I allow myself to check it on the browser if I feel like it, but I usually forget to. And then and then you know in the couple months since then, it's like my stress levels have like noticeably gone down. Yeah. It's like, oh, I wonder wonder how much that's correlated you know? totally right that's a great one people take the app off their phone or you mm. can just mute the notifications that's yes. in, like you still have the app but you have to go into it you know instead of mm -hmm. the constant notification Barrage. alarming you right yeah. Wait, yeah this is just off the, off the top of my head but where where do you think it came to where, where do you think it became normal for us to um check everything immediately because i remember you know i remember when these you know when these things started 
it would be oh we'd get to it or you know when when email first came in and was normalized mm. you wouldn't you weren't always checking your email you would you would go you would check it and then you go on your day and then as the years have progressed it's become faster and faster and faster and there's been this expectation of the moment you get a notification if you're not replying to it you're somehow failing and and yeah. where do you think that that pressure has come from i mean it's just the ever sort of accelerating pace of life I mean, yeah. from that, from an attachment perspective, it's a very anxious orientation and preoccupied, hypervigilant yes. orientation. And then people take it personal. It's been 10 minutes. I haven't gotten a reply. Like that's all a very anxious attachment through the social media, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's like, just because someone could, then we ex like could get, look at the email or text right away. Then mm -hmm. there's like all these expectations yeah, it's so funny. A friend of mine um, came from Costa Rica and then didn't have her phone. Like it was, she only could use it through Wi-Fi. She wasn't working right. through a carrier for a minute. So she has, you know, uh, my brain is just blanking, um, a storage <laughs> unit. So she wanted mm -hmm. me to meet her at the storage unit to help her load a truck, right? So she just gave me the address and I was like, great, I'll be there at this time. And then we had no more communication because she didn't have Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you, you're here. You found it. You showed up. Like we didn't have to text 20 times nor I'm on my way 10 minutes uh -huh. away. Like, uh -huh. like it was hysterical. We were just like, oh yeah, it's like the 2000s, you know, like, you just, exactly right. like you make a plan and someone shows up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that, actually. I was thinking about that recently, about exactly that point, about, you know, I remember growing up and it would be, we're going to meet at the movies or we're going to meet at the mall or we're going to meet here. And you would just, you would decide and you'd go, right? You know, right. and sometimes, and this was part of the culture, is sometimes people wouldn't show up, right? You yeah. know, sometimes you would get stood up or you would get these things. But those were, in a way, that almost, I don't want to say it was more impactful, but it's like, it's you know you mentioned ghosting and these kinds of things yeah. you mentioned how easy it is to disconnect now and 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 it's a strange oh, i don't even know what the exact word for it is but it's like you know the 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 stand up of the 90s is a very different impact than the the sort of ghosting of the 2020s you totally. know and 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 i'm not i i guess i'm not sure where that that shift yeah. is from well i think cuz maybe if that happened in the nineties, there was somewhat of a benefit of the doubt, like, Oh, maybe mm. their mom couldn't drive them or like, you know, like, yes, yes, like yeah, yeah. you could hold like, Oh, I'll find out later. Like what happens or something, mm -hmm. you know, there was a little mm -hmm. bit of that leeway. Whereas yeah. now you're like, Oh, you're just choosing to not communicate with me. Cause you can yes. at any moment basically communicate with me. Yeah. That's it right there, isn't it? That's per that's a perfect observation. I love that. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny. And that's maybe one of the tools I use for people that um, when someone hasn't replied fast enough, right? Mm -hmm. I go, well, let's come up with three reasons why maybe they couldn't. And let's make mm. one of them that they were abducted by aliens. Like, like <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like, like, let's make one of them that they're like battery on their phone died or they dropped it in the toilet or they were mm -hmm. abducted by aliens. And then what? oh, mm -hmm. they had a work meeting they had to go into or whatever, their kid needed mm -hmm. to get picked up. And it helps go, oh, right, I'm not the center of the universe, basically. Like, yes. And other people's behaviors might have nothing to do with me. <laughs> right, right. Isn't that always a revelation? Right, right. exactly. <laughs> right. It's, it's a helpful thought, but it's like, it's, you know, it's it's hard. It's uh, These phones make us the main I character. Know. They make uh, us the center. I mean, we are the center of our own world, usually, right? But, mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, relating back, this is a little bit of a spin back to something when, when we were talking about, you know, the uh, ethics and things like that. And, and I'm wondering, how do you find, um, that personal ethics and, you know, as, as you internally define them for yourselves, how do you see in, in the research and in the work that affecting, um, intimacy? Hmm. Personal ethics affecting intimacy. That's a great question. I think it can go either way. Hmm. Right. Um, I think this is what you're getting at. Sort of like, am I more oriented to meeting my personal needs and my personal freedoms being the priority mm -hmm. versus am I a little bit more oriented towards connection? And, and I have personal needs and freedoms, but so do you. And there's more of an interdependence. Exactly. Right? 
So in the first, you know, where it's like, it's more about me and my needs and my freedoms, then intimacy gets, you know, can be compromised because then people kind of become tools to meet our needs or they're controlling us if we don't feel free enough, you know, and like, right. We're not necessarily dropping into a certain intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. Does that get at what you're? Oh. Yeah, yeah, no, and uh, you just, you know, you 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 gave me what I, I always call it space brain. You, you're, you're, <laughs> that that answer gave me like nine thousand thoughts right. <laughs> instantly, right? You know, and and it's sort of it, it's that that simultaneously effective. I'm thinking about all of them, but because of that, it, my brain kind of shut off, you know. <laughs> but it's it it really is that interesting. And I think that that might be, at least for me personally, I think that might be where I'm I'm driven with the question of ethics is it becomes about the balance between the personal and the interpersonal. And, and where do you fall in taking care of yourself versus taking care of whether it's your, your partner or your community or, or something like that? Exactly. Um, and how, how do you do you find again? This- I. I like this though too. I want to see the other end, like the Please. ethics of intimacy. This is like a, probably a whole topic, right? That I never mm-hmm. thought of in this way till this conversation. But there's also people in the name of non-monogamy who are like jumping into a certain kind of intimacy. Yes. But the structure of their life, their level of availability cannot actually like hold the container of that kind of intimacy. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So like, just because I have the personal like capacity to go real deep with someone and get real intimate in a certain moment, like, should I do that if I actually can't follow through with that level of intimacy, right? Exactly. That's yes. No, I'm sorry. I'm like, I want you to keep going. I'm just like, this is exactly a big question for me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like what are, what is my ethical moral obligation, you know, to not sort of like, because we can, we can lure people into certain intimate, emotional, sexual experiences, but it's like, mm-hmm. and unless both people or three or four people are all like, great, this can be a one-off thing and let's just drop in and go <laughs> yeah, yes. versus like, no, I, I want more than just, mm-hmm. you know, a one-time experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or an occasional well, experience. Exactly. Well, and this question of, like you say about if you have the capacity to go deep, that's still a different thing than if you should go deep. Right. And, exactly. and, you know, are, are you safe? Is the person safe? Is the, you know, there's so many questions about um, one of the conversations that comes up a lot for me is, is um, in sharing uh, personal traumas or personal stories or personal things and, and navigating um is it is it a safe conversation to have right now? Yeah. Is the other per, is the listener safe to hear it? And then also, am I sharing it just to share, or am I sharing it for you know? Am I looking for free therapy, or is it a connected right? You know, like like what am I what am I trying to get out of sharing this story? And totally. and there's so many there's so many factors to that, right? And it's it's so it's factors. hard, but it's fun, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Or even to uh, compete, right? Like, oh, you think you had it hard? <laughs> I'll tell you about my trauma. No, actually, that's a that's a great that's a oh my god that I mean again that is a that's an interview in itself. But right. but do you do you observe that um you know or 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 how do you observe that as a as a sort of a behavioral trait of um uh, I know uh, in some of my reading about uh, spectrum disorder and things like that. Mm. Um, there's, there's often a um, you sort of tell stories that may to uh, um, to a certain person sound like it's a competing story when really yeah. it's an attempt at a connection. Um, and I'm wondering, do you see that sort of like those wires crossed often? Or absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That it can be just like it can be just even a style of conversation that people learned growing up Mm. sort of like this one upping and it's sometimes it's not even conscious or intentional Mm -hmm. but like that's Mm -hmm. how you saw dialogue happen you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like you have it hard well I have it hard you know I've had it harder and you know and and some people think that's a way of connecting and some people really don't feel connected through that at all because you're not Mm -hmm. sort of acknowledging the other and what they've gone through Mm -hmm. yeah and it can be this competitive like Oh, you want me to listen to you? Well, I need some like a needing empathy, 
you know, mm-hmm. which of course we all need, but instead of offering it to someone, you know, we're like trying to get it ourselves. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now, now this is, so, so I've only got a couple sort of like uh, this, this leads into these, these questions that I've got the the last few I have, but, um, um, uh, I'm in a writer circle and I mentioned that I was interviewing you and, and they sent me a couple questions to ask. And okay. I, I've, I've already worked a few of them in, but this is the last one that I was asked to ask. And, um, and it, it, it sort of correlates to a lot of what we've been talking about. Um, but I think it also links to the new book that you've put out with the, the polysecure workbook that you've, yeah. that you've put out. And, um, and it, it may even be a question that's answered within that. So this is probably a, <laughs> probably a chance to plug the book but um but for for someone who is is you know either they are polyamorous or they are beginning to explore it or they're opening that door for for themselves and for their partners um how can they have these conversations about attachment or about these explorations with people who may not be familiar with these these terms these these you know i don't want to call them theories but you know that with this, this world What's totally. sort of a, what's an entry point for them to, to have these conversations? Yeah, good question. Probably just sharing like, hey, I'm learning about this new thing. Can I talk about it with you? Like what I'm learning mm. or, you know, there's so many like pithy articles now. Like, hey, can I send right. you an article that you would read or listen to this podcast or, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right. Um, or even just like, hey, there's this whole idea that we have like attachment figures in our life. Like, what do you think about that? You know, so just mm-hmm. a light touch it, you know, obviously see if someone's interested in wanting to just talk about this kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And then in the book, um, both Polysecure and the Polysecure Workbook, I give tons of questions for like, here's questions to sort of talk through with your partners about you know, what kind of attachment level do we want? Do we even want to be attachment-based partners? Okay, if so, what does that mean to each of us? It might not mean the same thing, right? Mm. Yeah, so if people are wanting to cultivate their attachment um, and have more secure functioning, the book and workbook offer like tons of prompts for that. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. I I will make sure for, for listeners, I will make sure that the links to those books are going to be in the show notes. So right. as soon as the interview is done, or if you can, if you can multitask, just, you know, uh, uh, right. pull up the show notes and <laughs> buy them both. I cannot recommend it enough. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so I just have two, these are my, my, my sort of universal questions of the show. And this is, this will be our wrap up for it. Um, um, I'm, I'm trying to adjust them slightly. I've been, I've been reading a book about complex PTSD and it was yeah. talking about the concept of good enough. Yes. Right. And the, right. And so rather than being good, it's like, well, what's good enough. And so, so I'm, I'm adjusting these questions to, um, to you. Yeah. Uh, what does it mean to be a good enough friend? And then as a little follow up to that, what is one sort of actionable thing that listeners could do to try to be a good enough friend this week? Oh, that's really sweet. I might need to ask you to remind me in a second. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah what course. does it mean to, for me to be a good enough friend? That's a great question. I think part of it would be knowing this friend enough to know what matters to them. Like mm. the birthdays matter, the holidays matter or not, you know, mm-hmm. are, are they love language of gift and like how important is that or not? You know, just some of yeah. those things, you know, and, and what it like, how they receive support, you know, like, and also sort of what the frequency is. Cause with my friends, some, some people I feel very close to, we talk like once a year and other people, it's like, you know, we're messaging throughout the week. Right? Yes. <laughs> and yes. we didn't yeah. go a few days without that contact. Right. Mm-hmm. So sort of like, yeah, what is, what is the frequency that people really want, you know? Mm, giving giving the the individual actual autonomy right yeah and what's our unique chemistry yes about chemistry with romantic partners but it's like oh my goodness friends there's totally kind of you know a lot of chemistry or kind of flat or just you know or some people are more of our like comfort friends other people are more of our exploratory go out and you know do certain things with friends so yeah yeah i love that i love that yeah. thank you so much um yeah. the yeah the the, the follow-up is the is, follow-up, yes, with... is 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 um it, what's one actionable thing listeners could try applying to their friendships this week to be uh to be a good enough friend this week that's a good question um i'm just it's off like i'm like i don't know 
<laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Often I was just I'm like, don't like their photos. Right, no, I'll apply it to myself. <laughs> like, what can I do to be a better friend? I'm like, well, I could send certain friends just like sweet bitmojis or like a little like, hey, I'm thinking of you or like, yes, you know, um, okay, I have a friend that like we keep saying we want to get together. And instead of me like waiting for them to initiate, I like after you and I get off, I'm like, I will text them and just be like, hey, does Wednesday work? Right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I noticed this with one friend that there tends to be like, they won't respond to me until I respond to them. Like it has to be very transactional. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I feel so much differently supported when I have a friend who like, maybe they were the last one that sent a message, but then they haven't heard from me. And they're like, hey, babe, how you doing? You know, and it's, and I'll do yes. the same. So not to be in a transactional tit for tat with your friends, yeah. you know, like reach out. Yeah. Be the one to initiate, right? That's yeah. The, be the yeah. Ones, yeah. Take the initiation. And of course, if yeah. someone you keep initiating and you're not being reciprocated or met, then you have to question, is this, you know, the level yeah. of friendship you want with that person? But yeah. 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 Jessica Fern, thank you yeah. so much. This has been just such a wonderful chance to finally get to talk with you. The The book is Polysecure, and the new one is Polysecure Workbook. Uh, the links are in there. Is there anything else? Is there anywhere you would like to direct listeners to, to find you and your work? Yeah, they can just go to my website, jessicafern.com. If they sign up for my mailing list, they'll get notifications of just when I have upcoming events. Um, Polywise, my next book is coming out later this year, which is sort of like you know, the, the even further looking into, you know, the challenges and solutions of certain polyamorous stuff. So, yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you once thank more. You. I, yeah, it's been yeah. such a, such a blast. I'm finally, I'm so glad we finally got to Me do it. Too. Thank I'm you so, so glad we did it. <laughs> Wait, and you usually unfriend. I think we have two friends on social media now. That's the thing. I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's my, that's exactly right. Actually, that, I, I love that you suggest that because that's like, I think that might be my next shift is like, I think I'm going to spin to the positive now. I think I'm going to make friends Let's from this make now. Friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And that's it. Thank you once more to Jessica fucking Fern for coming on the show. I still can't believe I got to interview her. I've been floating on cloud nine since recording this interview. Um, If you want to learn more about Jessica and her work, please go to jessicafern.com or buy her books, Polysecure and the Polysecure Workbook. All of those links are in the show notes. And if you want to support Friendless, why not sign up for the Substack newsletter? You're going to get a minimum one new piece of writing a month. Um, I'm actually currently working on expanding that, but it's going to be packed to the gills with movie and book recommendations, writing prompts, and tips on how to be a good enough friend. I'm also launching my side project currently titled, Hey, Sorry I Missed You, in the Substack. It's a series of transcribed voicemails that may or may not be leading to a longer form narrative. You're just going to have to read to find out. All of those links as well are in the show notes. But that's it for me. So I'm just going to wrap it up by saying thank you for listening. And I love you. And I hope to catch you back here next week. But that's not something to worry about right now. Because that is then. And this is now. So for now, I'll just say I love you one more time and wish you well. Fun and safety, sweeties.